Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. Uh, I know this is a podcast, but if you're watching us right now, we're back in the old studio, which is now the new studio. Brand new studio. It's beautiful. There's um, uh, what looks like a Big Mac on a podium. Chandelier with monkeys on it. There's a monkey eagle. chandelier. Yeah, that's a big That's a big one. We've got Some a other knickknacks here. Anyway. I, said, I think describing set decoration is like one of the oh, I find this wonderful podcasting. On today's <laughs> show, Washington kicks off a busy spring with Katanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation vote in the Senate, a potential criminal referral of Donald Trump from the 1-6 committee in the House, and the return of Joe Biden's economic plan in a form that Joe Manchin can live with. We'll get into all of it, and then Tommy talks to the Atlantic's Anne Applebaum about the current situation in Ukraine, and later... We'll wrap up the final round of our March Badness Bracket, and we have a surprise late entry to consider from way out west, so stay tuned. But first, check out the latest episodes of Crooked's newest podcast, Strict Scrutiny, to catch up on Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings. Each week, law professors Leah Littman, Kate Shaw, and Melissa Murray use their experience to provide understanding into the inner workings of the Supreme Court's decisions, culture, and personalities. New episodes of Strict Scrutiny drop every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out this week's Offline, where Samantha B offers some motherly advice for future Oscar attendees, talks about the time she was almost canceled for a joke about Ivanka Trump, and discusses how she keeps her show funny even when politics makes you feel like shit, which I is for- all the time. I forgot about that joke about Ivanka Trump. That was so long ago. Yeah. What yeah. year was that? But I actually, I, but, you know, fortunately, I made her relive it. So. <laughs> As we all like to relive embarrassing public was things. It a C-bomb? We all love that. It was, C-bomb it, was, it was a C-bomb Very situation. Much a C-bomb. Yeah, I didn't bring that up, but you did, so... New episodes of Offline drop every <laughs> Sunday, wherever you get your podcast. I just twisted you up there like a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to the news. It's the start of a busy spring in Washington before everyone leaves to campaign for the midterms. Late Monday night, the U.S. Senate advanced the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court by a vote of 53 to 47. With Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Mitt Romney joining all 50 Democrats in support The procedural vote was necessary to break a highly unusual tie in the Judiciary Committee, where every single Republican senator tried to block Judge Jackson from even being considered by the full Senate. This despite a new Marquette Law School poll showing that 66% of Americans support Judge Jackson's nomination, including 67% of independents and even one in three Republican voters. The whole thing puts Senate Republicans in a bit of an awkward position. Here's Roy Blunt and Lindsey Graham explaining their no votes. I think she's certainly going to be confirmed. I think it'll be a high point for the country to see her go on the court and take her unique perspective to the court. Uh, But I don't think she's the kind of judge that will really do the kind of work that I think needs to be done by the court. And uh, I won't be supporting her, but I'll I'll be uh, joining others in understanding the importance of uh, this moment. And I'll say this, if we get back the Senate and we're in charge of this body, and there's judicial openings. We will talk to our colleagues on the other side. But if we're in charge, she would not have been before this committee. I like the the Roy Blunt uh, prevaricating so much. It's like, uh, this is a beautiful and historic day for our country. No. <laughs> I vote no on it. But then he has, a little, he has a little button on the end. He's like, but, you know, and then she'll get nominated and confirmed. And we'll all, I'll join everyone in recognizing the importance of the thing that I just voted against. I, I couldn't be prouder to be part of... If by part of, you mean opposed to (laughs) this incredibly historic event. I am a part of it. As I am Roy Blunt, and I am very much a part of this historic moment. I'm just on the wrong side of it. My part was no. That was my part. I was the one trying to stop it. But there I was, you know. (laughs) Part of it. He's retiring. 
you don't ha- like you don't have to tie yourself in knots, man. You're retiring. That's why. That's why he said the nice words that were in <laughs> say, the, the sandwich. Say whatever the, the you want. No do. sandwich. Do whatever the, you want to do. The nice words between the no sandwich were uh, were him retiring. Lindsey that's- Graham just uh, a, a three week temper tantrum, just banging his rattle every day. Why? Why are you so upset, Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, Graham? You voted to confirm her to the second most powerful court in the country last year. <laughs> Five minutes ago. <laughs> Last year. I mean, what, if anything, do you guys think Republicans achieved with their buffoonery during this nomination? I think they got Mitt Romney to yes. <laughs> I think that helps. I think they probably did. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Murkowski, too. Yeah. I've been trying to, like, tune my brain to a to a more cynical setting when thinking about this. Like, set it to, like, Dan, you know? Yeah. Get over, but I, I just I haven't seen any real benefit wow, for them. To Dan. D- Dan's a cynic. <laughs> he plays his he plays his part. It, I, I mean, like, the, <clears throat> the dream scenario for McConnell was digging up something that would get, I guess, Joe Manchin to voice concern, but instead they have achieved the exact opposite. The cynical vote is a yes vote. If your if your goal is to jam Democrats in the future, the cynical vote is a yes vote. It's this the, the no vote is not cynical. The no vote is stupid. Say short more. Term. Say more. Yeah. What are you talking about? Speak to the speak I, to I me. Think, I'm, I'm, I think it's a great take. I want to. I'm I want a listener to... in, um, uh, you know, upstate New York, and I'm not sure what you're saying. <laughs> upstate New York. What? Wait, wait. Trying to be the voice what? of the people. Just as <laughs> on Smartless, just they like, do this funny thing where they're. Oh, is, they, oh yeah. On, on Smartless, they do like, in Wisconsin. <laughs> Sean's in Wisconsin. They're trying to rip that Sister off. Or Dan's a cynic. The people in upstate New York can't uh, can't figure out what's going on in Dan, politics these days. Dan's a well-known. What do you have cynic. against? What do you have against uh, Troy? What do you have against the people of Schenectady? Have you been to Troy? Which Troy? What do you have have against Buffalo? A a lot of things. Other than that new dumb stadium they're building. (laughs) Here's the point I'm making. The winning in the stadium is is, the problem. This is happening. She is about to be confirmed. It is an absolutely historic uh, nomination. It would affirm their their sincerely held but wrong belief that Democrats have been the ones leading the radicalization of the judicial nomination process. They are the ones who railroaded Bork and Clarence Thomas and 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 uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh while they were the ones being dragged along to the ending of the filibuster, dragged along to the scorched earth politics of these confirmation hearings and setting themselves up to do what they want to do in the future, which is never allow another Democratic nominee to ever uh, reach the Supreme Court ever again. But instead, they just they can't do it because they're primaries, because of short term thinking, because they're furious, because they just don't want to uh, and because they don't think that way. Yeah. And she's not changing the ideological composition of the court. No. no. So it was really uh, kind of a, f- a free vote. Yeah. Um, they also made her more popular. There was a clear backlash. Uh, even among Republicans. Even among Republicans. she Her support at the beginning of the hearings was lower, even though it was still pretty high. Uh, it was like 58, 59 percent. It was a 66 percent by the end. Uh, overwhelming with independents. And like I said, a third of Republicans, too. And they did a separate poll today um, about like how the Republicans handle the nomination. 52% of the public said that they were unfair and did a very bad job questioning her. So yeah. clearly it, there was backlash to what Yeah, they I mean, look, I, I'm thinking about the conversation we had a while back and then you had with Dan on Thursday pod about like road testing themes for the midterms. Um, but even, yeah, Josh Hawley humiliating himself three or four days in a row did nothing for them. I mean, I'm sure they'll go after Democrats as soft on crime and maybe they'll point to elements of this hearing as part of that, but I kind of doubt it. I sort of think they have that 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 well set up for themselves because they'll 
go to their usual hobby horses. Yeah, I think they road tested the messages poorly. Like I think yeah, there yeah. are there are some messages around those themes that do worry me around the midterms. I just think they did a particularly bad job in these hearings um, by being as extreme and 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 uh, openly racist as possible. Yeah. And they were all over the place. I mean, even even just now, right? John Cornyn is still talking about uh, Obergefell. Obergefell, right? Which is a popular decision, <laughs> legalizing marriage equality. He is still attacking that. He's still, uh, I think. Both seeming radical and that he is going after like settled and popular uh, opinions. While at the same time, I think I think like giving fuel to the fire for yeah. Democrats and progressives who watch this very closely saying, hey, these threats, these threats to our rights, these are very real now. Yeah. It's a very serious that we are that we are not exaggerating. We are not just ringing the alarm. He said he said that Obergefell mandates same sex marriage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mandates. I, 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 sure. Your lips to God's ears, buddy. <laughs> I'll send you a list. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what was your take on Graham's comments? Like, you know, Sam Stein tweeted this, a reporter for Politico. He said, have we reached a point where the only way to confirm a Supreme Court justice is if one party controls the White House and the Senate? Yes. That is completely stupid. That is Ooh. so stupid. Of course, Democrats will get railroaded to confirm a Republican nominee. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I yes, I think McConnell stealing the Merrick Garland seat was precedent setting, and all the little McConnell acolytes can blame Trump for ruining politics. But no, I mean he, that was the biggest change we've seen in recent history. I do worry though, the Democrats would probably not have the stomach to do. Yeah. What they did. I mean, like there will be lots of demands for reciprocity um, and retribution, but I wonder if we'll be able to pull it. Well, here's grapes for it. Yeah. Here's something. Here's something about Graham's comments. The Judiciary Committee tied, deadlocked mm -hmm. uh, on this, and the only reason that we were able to get it out of the Judiciary Committee on the floor for a final vote that will come later this week is because Chuck Schumer is the majority leader. If Chuck Schumer was not the majority leader and it was a close Senate, we would not have been able to discharge it. There would be no Katanji Brown Jackson on the Supreme Court, which, by the way, all the like kick Manchin out of the party stuff <laughs> and Manchin been kicked out of the party. There would be no Katanji Brown Jackson on the Supreme Court. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, Scalia was 98 to zero. RBG was 96 to three. Do you guys remember how close the John Roberts vote was in 2005? I don't. You got it? I got it in front of me. What? Uh, <clears throat> pop quiz. 5740. <laughs> John? 55. Uh, the Democrats split 22-22. What? Half the Democrats voted for it. And it was also some weird ones. Chris Dodd, Feingold, Tell me, Leahy, you know, you know Levin, what's, You know what's Wyden. extra embarrassing about me getting that wrong is that uh, you and I were in the Senate, working in the Senate for Barack Obama, who was voting on that nomination. And, and he voted no, but I think it kind of it oh, tortured him a little bit because of this too. tradition. I was there too. Were you, were, were you with Hillary? What was the final vote? I don't have it in front of me. Well, what the fuck? <laughs> what was the split that mattered? Yeah, but that wasn't your question. You oh, said, what was the split? Hold on. It was like 70 or 80. It was like something like that. Yeah. Graham's comments, though, by just saying like, hey, just so everyone knows, if we ever take back the Senate, we're never going to confirm another <laughs> judge that's not a right-wing judge. Like, I'd put that in an ad. <laughs> I think yeah. that's good for, uh, for voters to see. And look, Murkowski, right after her vote... Uh, right after she announced that she was voting yes, she said this this process is so unbelievably broken. Seventy eight twenty two. We should have we should have been able to do the math. If there were twenty two Democrats who voted no, obviously there were no Republicans. Listen, we're so stupid. We're doing great. We're doing great. We're moving Terrible on. Terrible math. Over in the House. That's so anyway, Katanji Brown Jackson is going to the Supreme Court. The vote's gonna come later this week. Wonderful. Over in the House, the January sixth committee is aiming to wrap up their investigation before the midterms. 
But Politico reports that some members still aren't sure if they want to formally recommend that the Justice Department pursue a criminal case against Donald Trump. Select committee member Zoe Lofgren of California said, quote, a referral doesn't mean anything. It has no legal weight whatsoever. And I'm pretty sure the Department of Justice has read last week's opinion, so they don't need us to tell them it exists. She's referring to the federal judge uh, who said in a ruling that there's credible evidence that Donald Trump engaged in criminal conduct by obstructing Congress from certifying the election. Uh, There was also a New York Times story over the weekend that gave us the White House view of the situation, quote, As recently as late last year, Mr. Biden confided to his inner circle that he believed former President Donald J. Trump was a threat to democracy and should be prosecuted. And while the president has never communicated his frustrations directly to Mr. Garland, thank God, he has said privately that he wanted Mr. Garland to act less like a ponderous judge and more like a prosecutor who's willing to take decisive actions over the events of January 6th. Let's start there. What did you guys think of the New York Times story? I like that Biden on this matter is basically like all of us just be like, what's going on over there? What, what's he doing over there? I put this guy in. He says he's going to be, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to call him, but like, come on, we got crimes left and right being documented. What's he doing? I don't know. Tommy. D- this leak sucks so much. <laughs> this leak is such a problem. This is like the DOJ equivalent of like removing a white glove in the 1800s and like slapping your opponent. Like now, don't you think Garland's going to get his back up? Of course. And bend over backwards to not look like he's responding to political considerations. They put out pe- the statement. The people who leak, I've just like, if it, I have no doubt that the people who leaked this to the New York Times from the White House or from the sources that were familiar with Joe Biden's conversation, want Merrick Garland to prosecute Donald Trump. This will have potentially the opposite effect because Merrick Garland is the type of guy who, if he has to read in the New York Times that Joe Biden wants him to prosecute someone, is going to feel like he shouldn't prosecute someone. Yeah. I, I, my, hope in reading, my, like the, my hope in reading this got? is that this has zero impact. See, Potentially. I, my, that's how I took it. This, Unless yeah, me, it was me, happening oh, tomorrow. I, mean, I, I hope that too. I hope for all kinds of things. I hope an expect- <laughs> This is giving me tasting notes of Jim Comey, uh, L- Loretta Lynch, <laughs> well, uh, Bill Clinton on a tarmac. Yeah, my hope hints is- Hints of cigar box. My, look, I, look, luckily- Fruit uh, Ford berries. Look, they, they broke the mold when they made James Comey. All right. That guy, we don't, they don't make him that tall and ponderous anymore. All right. That was the last one. All right. So Mary that's Garland, a little shorter, still is ponderous. Pretty, pretty ponderous. Shorter, pretty ponderous. <laughs> what pretty, ponderous. Pretty ponderous. But he's not in that rarefied, uh, you know, six three, six four air where where facts and reason don't reach. So that's, I think, hopeful. Uh, I'll tell you what my actual. So <laughs> I'll be honest in that I thought of the quote. And then I thought, oh, who said that? What wise sage said that quote? And then when I looked Which it quote? up, I'm about to tell you. Uh, I realized that once I found it, I was in fact quoting Alfred Pennyworth from Dark Knight Rises. Oh boy. Uh, and this is the quote. Maybe it's time to stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day. That's what I thought, thought about. You, what do you think? You think Merrick Garland oh. said that? I want, that's, <laughs> that's what <laughs> I thought when I, saw the, uh, when I saw the uh, January 6th quotes about them not being sure if they're going to do a criminal oh. referral. It's like, hey. Oh, oh, back to the uh, back to Zoe. Back to the, uh, Zoe oh, Lockhart. yeah, no, we'll, let's talk about we'll, that. But, but before, like this is though, and Garland. What I wanted to say to Joe Biden though is, if you don't want a DOJ that acts like it's being run by a ponderous judge, don't put a ponderous judge in charge of it. Would be probably the big piece of advice. Also, it is a great example of a decision designed to send a message of reform or like you're cleaning up Washington by making DOJ independent again. Doesn't usually get you much because. Uh, Republicans will now point to the story and say, look, Biden is politicizing DOJ. It's just as bad as it was under Barr or anybody else. And Democrats are frustrated with Garland and they feel like things are going slowly. 
And so here we are. What do you mean it doesn't get you much? Probably a Washington Post editorial, <laughs> maybe a maybe a Ross Duthat column. We no. could have had Doug Jones. We perhaps, could have had Doug perhaps Jones. A, perhaps a tweet from the the uh, liberal legal establishment. I bet no labels was. <laughs> we could have had Doug Jones right now taping pieces of shredded paper together. Doesn't strike me as too ponderous, that guy. No. That I, is not a ponderer. I no, do like, he, does that's a, a, he does. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Some ponder. Not our boy Doug Jones. He does. Just thinking about the flashlight going through the fucking trash outside of Trump Tower. That guy get it done. Oh. Come on, Merrick Garland. He's obviously really well qualified for the job. The oh. DOJ's legitimacy is bigger than a case against Trump, but not that much bigger. I mean, this is a pretty big case. It's a pretty big case. Look, you're right. Anyway. But back to your original point, Levitt. Something about right, a there, Batman. No, there is a there is a hope that Merrick Garland is like, I don't care what's in the New York Times. I don't care what Joe Biden wants. If he if the facts lead me to prosecute him, I'm going to prosecute him. And if not, then I'm not, which... And I and like I look, but again, we now have a, look. The most important story was the one we talked about on Thursday's pod, which is again, or one of these pods, uh, <laughs> a federal judge said in a ruling that there is ample evidence that Donald Trump broke the law when he tried to obstruct Congress from an official proceeding, which was certifying the presidential election. And I also like when the case out of New York fell apart, and the uh, uh, district attorney. Uh, Bragg basically said he wasn't going to do it, wasn't going to let them go to the grand jury, and those prosecutors resigned. The letter was, I think, furious that they weren't allowed to take this case to the grand jury. Mm -hmm. But I think even those prosecutors admitted that they didn't believe this was some malevolent choice. It was just one they disagreed with. They thought it was an error because they thought that the evidence was strong enough to lead them toward seeking an indictment. This this, uh, 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 district attorney disagreed. Uh, But what I'm getting at is they all... If they're going to do this, they understand that this would be one of the most important decisions uh, any prosecutor has ever made in the in history, history of this of, country. Know, yeah, for sure. And so they don't want to do it unless they feel like they have him dead to rights. That's right. And so I, I, understand I understand that. that. I understand that. And that's where Congresswoman Lochran's quote is correct. Like a DOJ referral from Congress doesn't mean anything in practice. And the fact that a judge looked at all this evidence and said, hey, there's some crimes here is a very big deal that should hopefully give DOJ all that they need to move forward, but why say it to the Politico? And but also, also and also, this is point. also this is the house. These are these Democrats in the House, like too afraid to put their hand on the knife. You know, right. it's like Liz Cheney has been out there saying, if a criminal referral is warranted, we will have a criminal referral. So now we're going to have Zoe Lofgren like go back on that. And do you think Merrick Garland is going to be more or less likely if like? Okay, if there's a bipart there's a bipartisan committee on this, if the bipartisan committee sends a criminal referral to DOJ, that probably lends the whole thing a little bit more weight than if the bipartisan committee, much like uh, Robert Mueller before them, decides to end with a report and no recommendation whatsoever. But this is the point, though. It's all it. It's a. It, this is like a a second order question about the politics of what these referrals will or will not do, the stories that they'll shape, the mood of the country. If you get to the end of the investigation and you believe there's enough evidence for a criminal referral, you do it. Of course. And if you don't, you don't. You don't. Why are you doing punditry about? <laughs> oh, it's even if we don't, it's fine. Like, who, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Just do it. If you think there's a referral. Send it along. If not, don't. But why are you getting out there ahead of it being like, in the end, what we do is really up to God? Yeah, you know? just decline comment on that one. Because truthfully, the committee's done some good work. And they are the reason that we have this ruling from a judge now 
who has seen the evidence. Look, the best investigations happen through the press. We all know that by now. Well, I mean, Jim Trump's Comey done most of his crimes on, on television. <laughs> uh, there's one last big piece of potential business for Congress this spring that we should talk about. The return of the bill formerly known as Build Back Better. Politico reports that Joe Manchin is open to a smaller bill focused on raising taxes on the rich and big corporations, married with prescription drug reform and climate spending, with roughly half of any new revenues from the bill to go toward deficit reduction. But of course, when reporters tried to pin him down on the details, he gave the following quote, Really, I can't give you a reading on it if there's anything serious about this. You have chatter and we talk to everybody. After next week, we'll see. After the judge and all that, maybe things will pick up. <laughs> I will tell you, I was... Uh, uh, get, Joe Manchin get, sounds is like the... Should, sounds like they should schedule that signing ceremony at the White he House, He is huh? the sweet green of word salads. <laughs> this guy... <laughs> Why? What's he pops out a lot of word salads. I'm just... That's all I mean. <laughs> Because he's like sweet green, you know, the restaurant that makes sounds. Yeah. But okay. he puts out a lot. No, I get like a, it. Okay. Like a conveyor belt of sure, them. Sure, you know? sure, 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 sure. Not enough dressing. Oh, man. Criminal referral for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, it's, his position is just a, it's a Mobius strip, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, he's right. for and against it at all times. That's right. Just That's right. write down what you want on paper. It, we, you guys pass what this asshole says and let's just move forward well there was some talk of him actually writing things down on paper it would be wonderful that he's maybe started to jot some things down made some scratches so i will tell you and like so the question is if you're reading this story in the white house uh (laughs) and you still have hair left afterwards (laughs) um or you're a democrat in congress like what approach do you think offers the best chance because we're not going to predict that it's going to get passed (laughs) but the best chance of getting this passed you you basically get Joe Manchin pretty drunk. Mm-hmm. You put a dead body on the almost famous. <laughs> you wake up and you say, take care of it. We'll just take care of it for you. Joe, 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 we're family. We'll take care of it. Okay. I gotta, I'm going to side with love it on this one. <laughs> okay. I mean, just really, so just write the bill, dude. I think yeah. that you'd like, be a hero. Put a bunch of earmarks in for your little, your, your, your coal factory or whatever you want on there. Whatever. Right, they're going to do short, the rest done. short, short-term climate destruction for long-term climate salvation. Yeah, there's a little bit of you need you know, the long-term. He, he wants this stuff. all of the above energy strategy, which is which means you know short-term uh, fossil fuel production, long-term climate investment. There were some you know Politico Pro had some um, Democratic members of Congress in the House quoted as saying like, "Fine." You know, as long as it's short term and and the long term spending is going to match what was in the original Build Back Better, which was very significant spending and transformative on climate. And the hopes that it would out it would just by having done that, uh, that spending, you kind of outpace whatever damage you do with the short term. But here's here's what I've learned from Build Back Better for everyone else is everyone shut up about everything on this. Right. Like whatever Joe Man- Joe Manchin sees this partly as a messaging exercise about himself and where he stands. And if he wants to go out here and say that this is this is a bill about deficit reduction and, and fighting inflation and we're going to fight the deficit, and blah, blah, blah. Let him say that. Yeah. If, if he wants to talk about the all of the above energy strategy, but we know that the actual legislation is really transformative on climate. Let him say whatever the fuck he wants to say. Let's just get the thing done. I think that the, the thing I don't understand is where cinema falls on all this, because. So there's a prescription drug piece, and if she apparently negotiated a weaker prescription drug piece that she could get behind before, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know where that stands compared to what they're kind of heading towards now. There's the uh, uh, the climate piece, which Manchin has been for, which Cinema has not been come out against, and then there's the taxes. You know, Joe Manchin's been all over the place. He said different things depending on which reporters are passing him he, by, but he is he has been over time signaling that he wants higher taxes on the rich to pay for. To pay for this plus some deficit reduction, both because he's his brain is kind of steeped in two thousand era 
It's pickled by punditry from the 2000s. And I think he is genuinely convinced by the inflationary arguments. But cinema has been for a different set of tax increases. So specifically, they both, cinema and Manchin, both are open to raising taxes on rich people. Manchin wants to raise rates. He wants to undo the Trump tax cuts. And she's been against that. And she has been against that. She's more into the creative minimum tax for millionaires or billionaires or wealth tax or all that other kind of stuff. And why, or, why? or minimum because tax for corporations. A, a all little that kind of wrapped other. in an enigma, that's why. Mm. Yeah, when I, I talked to Katie Porter about this on, on Thursday's pod, and she said the problem is that the the two circles of what Manchin and Cinema want, uh, there is no Venn diagram. They don't really <laughs> overlap. Yeah. That's what she's worried about, at least. That's my word. So I think too. that's 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 the trouble here. Um, but, you know, again, just put the two of them in a room. Put the two in a room and say, like, figure out some tax thing. Let's get this done. It's just, it's so frustrating. Because, like, even Larry Summers, the biggest inflation hawk who has been shouted down for the last six months to a year, was in favor of Build Back Better. Because yeah. he didn't think it was going to exacerbate the problem. But you will undoubtedly hear Joe Manchin cite that over and over again about this smaller version. And look, it's incredibly important to make the wealthy pay their fair share, to uh, cut the cost of prescription drugs, to and more than anything else, to invest in climate, to transform the economy, to clean energy economy. But just on the politics, I will tell you the politics of a bill that raises tax on the rich, cuts the deficit, cuts the cost of prescription drugs, uh, includes the ACA subsidies, and creates clean energy jobs, couldn't be better. Good stuff. Outstanding politics. Run on that. Yeah. Uh, and on the ACA stuff, it looks like uh, our old boss is going to the White House for the first time since he left uh, on Tuesday. Maybe he can stick around. Uh, he's going to do he's going to do an event with Joe Biden on the on the Affordable Care Act anniversary. Apparently, they're going to announce that they're going to fix the family glitch in the ACA, which means that that's about- one that makes you have gay kids, <laughs> <laughs> makes your kids gay. That's the problem with that. It's also, yeah, that or uh, extends subsidized health insurance to five million more Americans, which is pretty good. It's just pretty good. So they could just do that? Says you. Executive that action. Just says you, that's what it does. There's a, yeah, it says me. <laughs> there's, a, there's a treasury rule that they think they can do that, which is they screwed up the way, HHS screwed up the way it defines, right. you know, how you qualify for subsidies uh, when it's just you versus you and your family. So um, Only applies to pregnant men. <laughs> also, we got a COVID deal. We talked about co- the COVID funding uh, not getting in the last bill. And apparently they just reached a $10 billion uh, agreement look, on that, though they, they left out fucking international COVID funding, yeah, which just, is yes, awful. But that's, that's great. Yell at the Republicans over that because it was $10 billion yeah. or nothing. And so we got the $10 billion. No, I mean, like COVID is famously a virus that uh, only occurs in the U.S. Yeah. So, so it's good that we cut all that international funding. But at the very least, you know, boosters, vaccines, treatments, we're going to have money for all that because amazingly we weren't going to because the Republicans tried to block right. it before. So that's, that's some good news. Uh, all right. When we come back. Tommy talks to the Atlantics and Applebaum about the war in Ukraine. On the line, I'm joined by Ann Applebaum. She's a staff writer at The Atlantic and the author of a fantastic book, Twilight of Democracy, The Seductive Lure of Authoritarianism. Ann, thanks so much for doing the show. Uh, thanks for having me. So I'm, I'm really grateful uh, for you uh, coming on Um Obviously, Ukraine has been in the news uh, for a month plus now, but over the weekend, we saw some truly horrifying images uh, out of parts of Ukraine like Bukha that had recently been occupied by Russian troops. You know, Clearly, there were civilians being bound and shot, uh, war crimes, or at least evidence of war crimes. Um, the international response has been a little bit mixed so far, as, as far as I can see. Have you seen meaningful steps in terms of, of the pressure campaign on Putin? Are you seeing countries saying things that might move the needle? 
So the response of the West more broadly has moved the needle already. Um, I think the fact that Putin did withdraw his troops from the north of the country is an important sign. He felt he could no longer win. And his original plan, which was to conquer Kiev, has failed. And that's partly because of Western support for Ukraine. I mean, I actually think that the military support for Ukraine is by far the most important thing we're doing and much more important than sanctions. Um, Sanctions might have a long-term effect, particularly on the Russian military industry and its ability to manufacture weapons, and that's good. But in the short term, it doesn't really, there's no there's no mechanism, there's no tool by which it stops Putin or, or does anything. So really the most effective thing we can do is still military. I mean, there are the beginnings in Ukraine of important and serious um, human rights investigations. Um, the human rights mm-hmm. watches on the ground, there are journalists on the ground. Um, there, are, there are people beginning to bring court cases. And although that's all very slow moving and so on, it, I, I believe that will also have a cumulative effect over time. But I do expect more, um, you know, more sanctions, more response. But as I said, I'll just repeat it again. Most important thing we can do is give the Ukrainian army the weapons that they're asking for. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think we all want the peace talks uh, between the Ukrainians and the Russians to work. But, it, I, I, you know, most of the experts I read believe that this is essentially an effort by Putin to reconstitute his army, uh, resupply, give people some rest and refocus his military effort on the east of Ukraine because their effort to race down from Belarus and get a bunch of tanks into Kiev was met with really fierce resistance from the Ukrainian military who, you know, you're right, they performed incredibly ably, but in part because they had anti-tank weapons um, that were provided by the U.S. and the U.K. and many others. Yeah, I mean, it's also important to understand, um, you know, so the peace talks, I agree, we eventually there will be some kind of negotiation, but the the war continues to matter and will shape that negotiation. Anybody who wants the Ukrainians, you know, to trade land for peace um, needs to understand what's at stake here. And I think we've just learned it over the weekend. Every piece of territory that the Ukrainians give up to Russians is terrorized. That means the local mayors and business leaders and you know museum curators are arrested or disappeared or murdered. It means that there is random terror, uh, you know, at civilians. Um, we saw already the effects of some. It apparently there's more coming out as more of those towns are liberated and as people come in to to find out what happened. Um, every single eastern Ukrainian town that has been occupied the Russians, the same story. Um, you know, in fact, this is what happened in Crimea as well after the Russians occupied Crimea. So, you know, remember that, you know, any any concessions, you know, this isn't just about giving a little bit of land up or, or moving the border. Any concessions mean that the Ukrainians are giving their own people up to to a, to a, a vicious uh, totalitarian occupation force. Um, and they may have to do it. And, you know, I'm not going to tell the Ukrainians what their negotiation strategy should be. But just remember when advocating for them to do that, that that's what's at stake. No, I, I think that's an important note. I mean, you know, the, I, 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 too, am not going to tell the Ukrainians when to negotiate or what to negotiate. But it is worth noting that I think when you total up the Crimean Peninsula and the Donbass region, you're talking about like 10 percent of Ukrainian territory. So this is not a, a small concession that we're talking about. Um, what what steps do you think have not yet been taken that would be the most meaningful in terms of support for Ukraine? So there's some there's some there's some military support we could still do and some sanctions. I mean, I think actually if you want sanctions that are more effective, I would I would take the top five thousand Russians. Um, you know, everybody who 
is in the in the Duma and the Russian Parliament. Um, everybody in the Kremlin administration, and plus all their wives and daughters and sons and relatives. And I would um, ban all of them from traveling to Europe or America ever again. I mean, I would put them on lists right now. That's something that would, could have an effect right now. So I would begin focusing sanctions much more on the broader elite and not just on these, you know, billionaire oligarchs who everybody loves to hate. You know, that's mm-hmm. um, so I, I would I would say that um, in terms of military help. I mean, the Ukrainians have a specific list and um, they want aircraft. They want armored vehicles. Um, they want, you know, more tanks, um, you, you know. I, they wanted a no-fly zone. They made that very clear, and we made it very clear. Unfortunately, that we weren't willing to do that—not even over Western Ukraine, which you know I think was a mistake. But um, the, I understand the calculation. The Pentagon was this fear of a direct clash between U.S. and Russian forces, which they wanted to avoid. But um, but the, but but speeding up the provision of those weapons, those bigger ticket items that they want, plus you know the ammunition and so on. Um, I think we can do that right away. I mean, we can do it the next week. So, I mean, just to to follow up on the no fly zone point, I, mean, I, I am, I think I'm definitely in a in a sort of further left position than you are on this. Oh, there's no left. Yeah. There's no left and right here. It's not. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to describe to the audience. Like, I'm I'm I've been very worried about escalation. Very concerned about the prospect of a direct military confrontation between right. the U.S. or NATO and yeah, Russia. I, I, under- I understand those concerns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I'm just sort of like spelling it out for listeners. But, you know, I'm over the weekend, you know, I saw the images at Abuka and it's hard not to feel like um, outraged, horrified, disgusted, wanting to give the Ukrainian military, you know, every weapon system they need. So, I mean, I guess, how are you thinking about the balance there or the risk of a, a direct confrontation between the U.S. or NATO and Russia? I mean, how, how did you calculate that. Well, so right now there is no such risk. I mean, we aren't there. You know, we're not fighting. There is no there are no American soldiers, um, no active American. But a no fly zone would mean U.S. shooting well, down we've, Russian jets. But we, we've we we're not doing it. I mean, it's right. The but you're advocating is, for it. I, I mean, it's sort of it's a, a moot point to advocate for something that won't happen. So, I've okay. you know, I'm 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 not going to bother advocating for it. And I, okay. as I said, I understand the Pentagon's concerns about that. You know, it's a it's not it's not irrational. I, mean, I do think that the Russians have used the nuclear issue as a form of, you know, they use it to create fear and anxiety. They use it to create, you know, to make us not fight. Um, and so to a extent, they are bluffing. I mean, they are, um, you know, that that's what they do in order to prevent us from entering the war. And, to, you know, we have we have succumbed to that threat, um, you know, but there you know, reasonable people can disagree about this one. Yeah. So, you know, you've you've written a lot about the need to crack down on on Russian money, Russian oligarchs, and there has been some scrambling, some catching up lately to crack down on Russian oligarchs. There's the UK says they're going to, you know, pass some laws that make it hopefully less difficult to wash money through London. Um, You know, there's you know, everyone's excited when we see some mega yacht get, you know, taken by the Spanish authorities, whoever did it today. But, you know, you've written about how there are actually um, the conventional wisdom is that money laundering and, and ill-gotten gains get hidden in offshore accounts abroad. But in reality, today, states like South Dakota have become premier global tax havens. There's actually people taking money out of Switzerland and mm-hmm. putting it in South Dakota. How do we fix that? If South Dakota state lawmakers 
don't want to deal with the fact that you can hold companies anonymously in South Dakota, hide taxes, hide from you know legal liability. Um, is that something Congress would have to do or are any lawmakers working on it? Um, so there are people in Congress who think about it. Um, there are a couple senators who think about it quite seriously. Senator Whitehouse is one of them from, from Rhode Island. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I agree with the premise of your question, you know, that this is really a structural problem. And, you know, I don't know, confiscating somebody's yacht feels great and, you know, makes everyone happy, but it doesn't fix it. I mean, I think there are really much more fundamental things we should do. I mean, look, why does anybody need to have an anonymous company? Why does anyone need to hold property anonymously? I mean, people no, have no. these, you know, there, there are these fringe reasons why someone might want it. But frankly, the, the people who want to do those things do it because either they want to avoid taxes or because they're criminals. Um, so why does that have to be at all legal in our country for any reason? I mean, I think it's really time now to end all of those practices, you know, not just in the United States, but in Europe um, and, 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 you know, really in all democracies. Um, and, you know, getting to these very basic problems, you know, these very basic sources of kleptocracy and money laundering would be a lot more effective than just sanctioning people, you know, re- retroactively um, when something bad happens. And by the way, this just isn't about Russia. This is about Russia. Mm-hmm. It's about countries in Africa. It's about, um, you know, many, many countries around the world. Um, and we could, you know, we could stop a lot of corruption and we could stop a lot of the political influence campaigns that are paid for with corrupt money if we just change these laws. I mean, another one, why do Americans have to ever be allowed to put any money in tax havens? What are tax havens for? Who uses them? People who are avoiding taxes and people who right. are corrupt. Um, yeah. So let's let's shut them down. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, just stepping back a little bit and getting more into the topic of your book. I mean, you know, we're obviously, we're seeing an autocrat in Russia invade Ukraine. But you're also seeing, you know, nationalists, autocrats like Viktor Orban in Hungary um, win re-election. It now looks like there's a surge in support in France for Marine Le Pen, uh, who's a horrible right-wing, you know, xenophobic, racist candidate. Um, over and over again, I think we see these sort of illiberal autocrats use nationalism to get power. Do you have any thoughts on how to push back on that? I mean, my concern is that it seems to happen in the wake of difficult economic times. So the 2008 financial crisis led to, to Viktor Orban. Marine Le Pen is is beating the drum about inflation. Like, how do you think about how we can help counter those sort of appeals? And that's a that's a long, deep question. And you know, a yeah. lot of politicians spend a lot of time thinking about it. I don't think there's a pat answer that goes for every country. I mean, there's some answers that have to do with changing the subject and focusing people on roads and bridges, you know, instead of existential cultural issues about which we will never all agree and divide people. Mm -hmm. There is an answer that has to do with um, rekindling and focusing on patriotism as opposed to nationalism. And what are the what are the things that tie us together as nations and pull us together? You know, where can we be proud as Americans or as French people? Um, uh, you know, there's a there's there's a counter narrative to, to nationalism that is also could be unifying and satisfying um, in a in in a, in a different way. Um, there's a there's a weird way in which Zelensky. I mean, that's an extreme circumstance, but the president of Ukraine has done that. I mean, he's a here is a muscular you know, patriotic defense of a, of a liberal tolerant society. Um, and of course, they have to do it with weapons and we don't. Um, we're lucky. Um, but, but thinking about, you know, and, and also think, you know, thinking about the issues that unify people as opposed to the ones that divide them, finding ways to talk um, 
to the wavering parts of the right who are tempted by the far right, and this is a task both for the center left and for the center right, um, mm-hmm. might be important. You know, finding the right messengers. I mean, there's a there's a series of you know the, you know I actually spent part of last year I I went around and I met a lot of center right leaders in Europe. I wound up not writing anything because it was it was a little bit too inchoate. But if you talk to the center right leaders of Spain, Poland. Um, Hungary, actually, the one who just lost, and others, you know, they, they'd all thought about this a lot. Nobody had a formula, but you can see the beginnings of the outline of some ideas. Yeah, I mean, it seems like nationalism and xenophobia is an age-old problem that's highly effective. And um, you, I agree with you that, that appeals to patriotism can be effective. I mean, Barack Obama, ultimately, that was an appeal to patriotism as sort of the better angels of the history of the U.S. Yep. while recognizing its flaws, you know? Yeah, yeah, but but in, but in, in a way that is appealing to... Um, to, to others. Final question for you, just to play like a bit of devil's advocate. I mean, I think there are totally understandable appeals for the U.S. to get more involved, to do more to help the Ukrainians. But then there are also voices often on the left who say, hey, you know, if you look at the recent history of the U.S. pushing for a freedom agenda, we don't have the best track record. You could start at 1953 and, you know, propping up the Shah in Iran or pushing for a coup. You could push you could look at Bush's freedom agenda leading to the Iraq war. You could even say, hey, Obama's humanitarian intervention in Libya turned into a regime change exercise and had long lasting repercussions. It, it seems like you, you could easily get from those examples to an argument that, you know, the U.S. efforts to push our ideals on other countries often end very badly and that maybe the answer is more restraint. What would you say to that? I would say this is not a U.S. effort to push our ideals on another country. This is the Ukrainians who have a set of ideals and who have um, who have goals as a nation and who would like to remain a sovereign nation and who would like to be able to choose their own form of government. This is them requesting help from us. Uh, you know, this is this is not a U.S. inspired movement. This is nothing. This is not, um, you know, an evidence of American manipulation. That's a, that's a Russian narrative. That's not mm-hmm. what happened in Ukraine. And that's not what's going on. Yeah, that's fair. Um, OK. And well, listen, I know you're at the airport. I will um, say thank you very much for, for talking to us and uh, safe travels. Delighted and happy to do it again sometime. Thank you. All right, we're back. Love it. Yeah. You know, we had a big, uh, we had the, the March Badness championship round on Thursday, and uh, and you weren't you weren't there on the pod, so, mm-hmm. Tommy? You weren't there, love it. I wasn't there, I wasn't invited. Um, <laughs> before we get to that, what did you think about the outcome of the Duke game and what it means for Coach K's legacy? <laughs> um, I... And who uh, won? Uh, so, one of the teams that Duke was playing won or <laughs> lost, uh... I literally don't know what I know. There's someone named Coach K. I believe for the first time, someone accidentally tweeted a picture that I saw. Mm-hmm. I thought I see he seemed. Um, someone accidentally tweeted a picture. That you I, saw? I accidentally <laughs> saw a picture of Coach K because it came into my feed, and it said Coach K. I saw him sitting in a folding chair in some kind of a court. He looks like he has dyed black hair. Yes, some kind uh, of a court. Famously, kind of a, uh, not a terrible ten- hair. A dye. Tennis court. No, it was a basketball court. I don't know who Duke played, and I don't know whether or not Duke won or not. I don't know what round it was in. I don't know how long March Madness goes. I know it is now <laughs> April, uh, so it can't be too much longer. 
Final game uh, is tonight. That, final game is obviously tonight, Thursday night. We're Great. recording Monday. We're recording. <laughs> it's Monday. <laughs> um, well, that's not on me not knowing sports. Well, no, that was the pot no save. More, that was no pot- more edibles before the C block. <laughs> and that was the pot save America sports minute. Uh, <laughs> so Dan and Sean, Dan and Sean chose the national championship uh-huh. teams. Yep. So they had a split decision. They chose one vote for the Thomas family. Not the English muffins, the Clarence and Ginny. <laughs> uh, one vote for the Florida GOP. The audience also chose the Thomas family. Who do you choose? So I appreciate uh, that um, the audience chose uh, Ginny and Clarence Thomas. I understand that they're a kind of, um, you know, that's that's where your heart goes. That's where mm-hmm. your emotion goes. But when you actually step back and think of it, Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas are symptoms of our broken politics. Ginny Thomas, but for her connections to the centers of power, is just any baby boomer with a broken brain on Facebook. Potentially from Florida. Potentially from Florida. <laughs> so, and and while Clarence Thomas is, I think- An uh, icon, a hero uh, an I- Yeah, obviously an icon, famously, and gay icon. Gay icon, <laughs> Clarence Thomas. Queer icon, Clarence Thomas, uh, who's done so much for all of us. Uh, the end of the day, Clarence Thomas, he's the he's the he's the far right vote in a court we lost and could literally uh, abstain for the next 10 years and would have no impact on any outcomes. They're they're doing what they're going to do. And we love them for that. And they're living their best life. Uh, the Florida GOP is the is the future of our problems. Oh, no. It is everything that we are dealing Same with all as once. I had a feeling about that. I had a feeling about that. Like Ron DeSantis is smart Trumpism, the kind of radicalization of the Florida GOP. I mean, they are considering going after uh, uh, families for supporting trans kids. They've obviously done this. Don't say uh, gay bill. They're now going to go after uh, Disney uh, for, I don't know, having their own army in there. I actually was surprised. I didn't know that much about it. Disney for belatedly weighing in on the Don't Say Gay Man, and and I just, I hope every- the J.D. Vance uh, one day threatening to uh, boycott Disney the next day tweeting about how he's watching Disney movies with his kids. Yeah, Yeah, good luck. You're going to take on Han Solo, Mickey Mouse, all of them at once, The Mandalorian. You're going to take on The Mandalorian too? And uh, uh, Elsa? You're going to take on Elsa? That's your position? I side with Elsa. (laughs) I stand with Elsa. I stand with Elsa. So the Florida GOP is your Florida GOP. I choose the Florida GOP. So what we have learned is that for two straight years running, my failure to think of a tie-breaking mechanism (laughs) has come back to bite. Wait, because I went against because I well. well, So it's Dan in the audience versus me and you. Oh right, right, right. right, Do you want to make? Should we downgrade the audience? Is that what you're trying to say? Love it. (laughs) I mean, no, it's just more that I think, like, well, well look, obviously, put, Tommy. Well, we don't really, look, obviously, we don't like to shine too much of a light. How about out, this? But Dan is technically our employee. <laughs> the winner of the Crooked Media Dan internal. Dan works here for us at Pod Save National Championship. Obviously, we're not going to put our, th- we're not going to put our boot down. You know, it's like, not like a serious yeah, Dan thing. Dan got Tommy's coffee the Florida today. GOP. <laughs> Florida GOP. Mm. Um, but you got, wait. You know what? You're, you're going to thank us. Yeah. <laughs> they are the biggest villain. What's that? Sean, this, there's some breaking news. Oh my gosh, what's what's going on? What's going on? Hey, what's hey, going what's on? Go- <laughs> hey, what's going on? Let me throw it over to hey. my anchor, John Favreau. Wait, he knows, well, that acting doesn't work. If he doesn't know what's going on, how can you throw it to him then read what's going on? <laughs> no one's- It's fine. It's, it's fine. This isn't the Oscars. <laughs> it's fine. We have a, um, we have a late entry uh, into the March Badness Tournament. 
um, mm-hmm. from w- from way out west. Mm-hmm. We did not see this coming, but um, we do have to take it seriously. We of course. Um, on April Fool's Day of all days, we got an announcement that there is a new candidate for Congress to fill the seat of uh, the the Dean of the U.S. Congress, Don Young from Alaska, and that candidate is Sarah Palin of Wasilla. Sarah Palin, she's back, everybody. I, <laughs> she's back. So she's back. I saw this news on April Fool's Day, and I saw Jeremy Peters of the New York Times tweet out the press release, and I started texting it around, and I sent it to our Slack, and I was like, I'm the first one to let everyone know that Sarah Palin's back. And then all of a sudden, I looked at the the date, and I was like, oh, April Fool's. Jeremy Peters was had, and so was I. I can't believe this. And then it wasn't an April Fool's joke. It was real. Sarah well, Palin announced her congressional bid on April Fool's Day. In a sense, we've been living in April Fool's Day for the better part of six years now. Uh, six years? I was going to say since... <laughs> my, my my favorite part about the the reveal from mm-hmm. from Miss Palin, former masked singer, was that uh, a reporter from the Anchorage Daily News, you know, probably a critical source mm-hmm. of news for uh, your average Alaska voter, was replying to Jeremy Peters' tweet saying, hey, can anyone confirm this or forward it to us? Please let me know. Here's my number. It's so funny. On Twitter. You didn't send it to your, the biggest paper in the biggest city in your state. Also, I went to the website to see if it was real too. And it's like, even the website, you're like, is this real? <laughs> it looks like it could be real. There's definitely a donation button, but there's not much else going on there. Anyway, the, uh, it's real. I guess the cameo business dried up a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> gotta, we got to put some more uh, put more gas in that tank. For, the, for those of you who are wondering what's going on with this election... Um, there are nearly 40 candidates running to fill Don Young's seat. He died at 88. He was the oldest member of the House. Seven of them are Huskies. <laughs> there, there will be, here's how it's going to go. There will be a special election on June 11th. Yep. And the top four, top four candidates will move ahead to the special general election on August 16th. Again, this is like Republicans, None Democrats all, all run in the same uh, first election, the, 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 the one on June 11th, and then, they, and then the top four run in August 16th. What a wild thing. Can you think of a worse job in all of politics than being like the lowest ranked congressman from Alaska? Like you have the longest commute possible and you have zero power. Get all the miles. I don't know. Sarah Sarah Palin's pretty bored. Pretty bored. She resigned in 2009. What has she been doing since then? I guess some Fox hits. A couple of reality shows. Speaking gigs. Yeah. Yeah, she's getting divorced. I think she got a million dollars I think getting divorced takes time. Yeah, that probably takes time. She will, uh, <laughs> this is from the Times story, Ms. Palin will face a host of both far-right and establishment Republican rivals, including Nick Begich III, the Republican scion of Alaskan political royalty. Father Mark was a Senate candidate on the Democratic side. That's huh. weird. Yeah. Uh, State Senator Joshua Revek, an Iraq war veteran who previously worked for Mr. Young, uh, and Tara Sweeney, who served in the Trump administration. Uh, on the Democratic side, Al Gross, Dr. Al. Nice. nice. Uh, he'll be a former orthopedic surgeon. He ran unsuccessfully for Senate in 2020. He's going to be running as an independent. Break the back of these gas prices. <laughs> and Christop- That's a free one. That's a free one, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and Christopher Constant, an openly gay Democrat who's a member of the Anchorage Assembly. So that's what we got. What do you think, guys? Are we, are we ready for another, uh, another episode of Sarah Palin? I think she's seeing Marjorie Taylor Greene and she's like, you, you think you can do what I do? <laughs> you fucking bitch, I'm coming. <laughs> You dumb lady, I am, I am. Lauren Bobert, seriously? I am twice as smart and half as well read as you. I'm on my way. 
<laughs> I am, I am, I am, I am all Twice. fucking, I am Twice. all fucking savvy, and I haven't read a goddamn thing since I, since, since, since those people on the McCain campaign tried to give me a binder. <laughs> they think they can get me to read since a binder Katie about foreign policy. Asked me Fuck about you. Those books. I read all the magazines. <laughs> Love it. I'm to, coming to your do- <laughs> your uh, back to your joke earlier. The Anchorage Daily News said the number of candidates is more than twice the number seen in any other primary in Alaska history and greater than the number of mushers who ran in this year's Iditarod cool. trail slide dog cool. race. Wow, that's awesome. So, that's yeah. awesome. So you guys think cool. she, what do you guys think? You think she's she has out, a chance? But, you know, 40 candidates, that's tough. It's 40, well, except <laughs> but the name 40, ID. So the name ID is huge, but she's... 50 now? Yeah, it used to be 51 and somebody what struck out. growing every day? I mean, yeah, they someone, beat the someone, filing deadline. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't there a filing deadline? I mean, the thing is, she is not a popular politician in Alaska. She's obviously very well known, but people did not love when she resigned no. <laughs> in the middle of her term. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and she hasn't really done much for a full decade, but the name ID is name ID. She did uh, open the door for Donald Trump to become president of the United States. Yeah, <laughs> and he endorsed her pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, as 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 our friend Peter Hamby tweeted, there would be no Trump without Palin. Yes, I, I think that's true. I don't know if it's. I think it's correlation, not causation. I think. Mm. I think she. I think she was try. She was like, hey, I, hey guys, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but I think this. Uh, none of the doors on this bank are locked. <laughs> well, I think he saw that work. Yeah, he saw it where she made. She she ran a campaign that was based entirely on cultural identity, and, and he was like, name. yeah, and, and you know, right wing populism. Yeah, uh, and he thought, okay, I can try that. I could maybe do it better than her. I'm richer, probably more well-known. Sure. Mm-hmm. 50 candidates seems like just kind of a mess. Oh, there's a candidate named Santa Claus, who's a self-described democratic socialist uh, who currently sits on the city council of the North Pole. Let's book him on the now, pod. This feels this feels like <laughs> April Fool's content that I'm reading. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, that could be said of any of the news I, we read I felt for any a baloney folder <laughs> on the QVC TikTok. <laughs> I'll just confess that now. I saw it and I thought, what are these fucking assholes doing? Oh, it's God damn it. Wait, a baloney folder? A baloney yeah, they, folder? they put out. Well, the problem is I saw it on April 3rd. I didn't know it was. In, I saw it on April 3rd. I was like, they're trying to sell a baloney folder? Am I in outer space here? And then I was like, oh, it's from two days ago. Those bastards. That's funny. Wow. All right. Well, thank you. To, this is the time I say thank you to Ann Applebaum <laughs> for joining us. This is going to sound real weird after that interview. Let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to Ann Applebaum for joining us. Congratulations I, I, to the Florida GOP for winning the national championship. I have one note that I forgot to include. Mm. Oh, please. My yeah. notes is it another, is another Batman quote? It was, actually. It was that everyone should watch Batman Returns. Okay. Uh, it's a great way to understand the, 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 the Trump-Palin era. I so think. again, Coach K won or lost? I assume because the picture he looks sad. Yeah, don't you have He the... seems sad, so I assume that he lost. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I understand this is, is perhaps his final yes, route. Look yeah. Final, you know more final, than you more listen, than you let on. Um, and they lost, and so now there's a final championship between the Denver Hucks mm. Nuggets. <laughs> nope. Yep. Nope. <laughs> sure. No. The the Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee Brewers. No. <laughs> is Bucknell involved? What about yep, Gonzaga. Of course but, they are. No. You you just Kentucky. <laughs> Sometimes close, Kentucky closer, goes far. You're closer with Kentucky. Tennessee? They got upset early now. No, you're a little less close. I, I honestly can't. I, yes. I'm and, telling you that I have no idea. What's what's Elijah's favorite team? Oh, the North Carolina Tar Heels. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Is that let, it? Let the record say that he pumped his fist when he said it. Listen. All right, all right, everyone. This is some don't say gay shit happening at this table. This is how it starts. This is how it starts. <laughs> what? You know, they, it's not limited to K through three. I'm not allowed to be myself here either. <laughs> Just asking your opinion. You nailed the hair color. End of pod. <laughs> Bye, everyone. 
Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineer the show. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia. <laughs>